Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. Today I'm going to share a message that I gave to my church a little over a month ago. This message is called Identity Crisis, and I hope you enjoy it. Please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We will begin in verse 4 today. The Word says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which, by nature, are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things? to which you desire to be enslaved all over again. There are many things in life that are a constant, something reliable that we can depend on. We expect the sun to rise in the morning and to set in the evening, and it always does. We expect one hour to always be exactly 60 minutes, and it always is. You can take a mathematical formula anywhere in the world and it would be understood, because it is a universal language that never changes. The longer that we live, the older we get. These are constants. You take two X chromosomes and you make a male human being. You take one X and one Y chromosome and you make a female human being. Everything that is morally good will always be morally good, and everything that is morally bad will always be morally bad. We rely on these constants. But if you've been paying attention these last few years, the world is desperately trying to break a cycle that cannot be broken. And instead of accepting things as absolute reality from a God who loves us, there is a spirit of rebellion that seeks to redefine constants that have existed since the dawn of time. Today, we are going to explore the truth of the one who is the only true constant and better understand our identity in Jesus Christ. You probably were not expecting to get a lesson in psychology today, but I assure you that it is important to understand this in light of the scripture that we just read. June, which is the month that I gave this sermon, is a dark month for history in its full embrace of the woke agenda. Corporations make it very clear what they stand for. Killing unborn children and gender mutilation is considered to be health care. Children are taught to explore their bodies and the depths of depravity starting at the ripe old age of four. The entire spectrum 
of children and adults can't go a single day without a cell phone or being on screens. The lack of physical interpersonal conversation, which has been replaced by a toxic social media culture, has caused the increase of mental disorders, depression, and suicide. If you need help ending your life, you have places like Canada, whose government would be happy to help you do so. This relentless assault in perverting the current and future generations is creating a godless and confused society. And if you disagree with it, then you are a hateful bigot. At the core of this anti-Christ agenda is a large population of people made in God's image who have no idea who they really are. And because they don't know how they quite fit in the big picture, their entire existence becomes wrapped up in their identity, or rather, how they are viewed by the people around them. To question or disagree with their identity equates to labeling them as not having any value. I mean, it's natural to see and rationalize similarities and differences between people, but why do they obsess about identity? To answer that question, let's talk about what identity is. Your identity is the combination of your memories, your experiences, your relationships, and your values that come together to make sense of the world you live in. Some of our identity is physical, in which we have little to no control over. We have a particular skin color. We have a particular eye color. A particular shoe size. A particular height. We each were born and raised into a particular culture, geography, and ancestry. Our genetic makeup classifies us as either being biologically male or female. Some people only see these things as a means of defining who they are and how they interact with others that are either the same or different from them. But this is just one aspect of identity. Another fundamental aspect of your identity is based upon the relationships that a human being has with other human beings. Some people have an identity as a parent, or a child, or a spouse, or a friend, or an employee. Some people define themselves by their socioeconomic status, how much stuff or how much money they have. Some people hold to a particular political opinion, or personal preference in decision-making, or a particular moral attitude toward a situation. All of these aspects of our personality, starting from childhood, slowly shape us into who we are today. And who knows, perhaps today, after hearing what God has put on my heart, something will be added to your life that will adjust your identity in a certain direction. All of these dictate the choices that we make every day, as well as the goals that we set for ourselves. Most of us can relate with feeling like we want to fit in, right? God instilled us with a craving for a sense of belonging with other people. We would love the comfort of knowing 
that we could be our authentic self, with no faking it, and be fully accepted by someone else. Have you ever felt like no one understands you, or you find it hard to relate with other people? It's a very lonely existence at times, isn't it? When I was young, I attended a small school with the same kids for every class, every subject, every year for nine years. I was a pushover. I was shy, sensitive, and gullible. At school, there weren't any other kids that shared similar interests with me. This made me a target for all manners of bullying and psychological abuse, and I would often escape from my problems in the world of video games. I felt like I didn't belong. No one understood me, and I thought that this situation was never going to change year after year after year. While I was in middle school, I contemplated suicide multiple times. But when I entered high school, I found many people who shared similar interests with me, and I have very fond memories of my time with them. I finally felt like I wasn't alone in the world, and I looked forward to going to school every morning, well before class started, so I could hang out with people that accepted me for who I was, without having to put up walls or fakeness. I could be my authentic self. Near the end of high school, when I was starting to drive myself places and I got my first job, I began tasting freedom and independence. And being the gullible kid I was, I was easily influenced by some very evil people that introduced me to some of the filthiest things in the world. Naturally, it took its toll on my attitude, and it began to corrupt my interests and ways of thinking. But like they say, we don't reflect on our identity until there's a crisis. So after years of crises and a large helping of God's grace and mercy in my life, over time, I began to understand who I was and who I wanted to be. I quit listening to what people either told me I was or what they wanted me to be. Instead, the Lord God defined who I was in light of Scripture, and it cemented in my mind. Put it all together, and I am simply me, and I can be satisfied with my identity. I don't love talking about myself, but I say all of this to belabor a point. Much like what happened to me when I first tasted freedom, it took years for me to learn that the world is not your friend. And when I say the world, I refer to the world systems, as well as those in the world who spend their lives pursuing evil and influencing others to do the same. The world constantly lies to you with an active evil agenda. And if you are like me, who listen to those lies, you can easily become convinced to believe in a lie. And these lies can and will pervert your identity. What are some of those common lies that you will hear? Do whatever makes you happy. That is a lie. 
A person is defined by what they have, what they look like, or what they do for a living. This is a lie. You are what other people say you are. You only have value if people accept who you are. This is a lie. Your only value is from what you've accomplished. Only the greatest things you've done define who you are. That's a lie. If you don't like something about the world around you, make your own reality. And don't let anyone tell you what is natural or acceptable. This is a lie. You know what? It's your life. So set whatever boundaries you want for yourself and defy the God who sets boundaries over you. Make your own destiny. This is a terrible lie. You see, if we listen to the wrong voices, and reach a corrupted conclusion, then we will likely do things or say things that are contrary to God's word. Anything contrary to God's word is either from Satan or man's sinful depravity, and it's these very things that enslave the world. Is it no wonder that the world is spiraling out of control at an unprecedented rate? You simply need to check the news or turn on the TV to see that the godless society around us is rapidly deteriorating. Or perhaps even worse, you've lived in acceptance of sin for so long that it doesn't seem that bad to you. But I'm sure many of you have asked the same questions that I have. Can anything good come out of this? Is there anything we can do about it? What does God think about all this? We don't have to ask him, because he has already told us. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 1, and see if this resembles what's going on in the world in any way. We are going to go into the scriptures, and I really want you to take a look at this today. Look at the world as it really is, and judge it according to scripture. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Let's go down to verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, because they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman 
and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. The situation in Romans chapter 1 did not happen overnight. Paul is describing a clear progression, or rather a clear degradation, of the minds and spirits of those who willingly choose to deny the Lord. If you go back a few verses, he describes how God has made himself known through his creation. And because we are made in his image, there is something within us that knows that he exists, and that our life is much more than what we can just see or hear or smell. Despite that, people have lied to themselves that God is not real, or have convinced themselves that he is something we created as an excuse for what we can't explain. The Bible is clear that man's denial of God is a conscious act. They know the ordinances of God. Man willingly forsakes the one who created them, as well as created all morality, all goodness, and all righteousness. Instead, they pursue lesser things. We can be guilty of this as well, so I don't want you to think that we are not capable of doing this ourselves. If we follow this progression, we go from conscious rebellion in our minds to acts of rebellion. All manners of sin come out of us, and the further down that rabbit hole you go, the deeper and darker into depravity you will go. And before you know it, people's identities change. You become woke. Violence is okay if someone disagrees with you. People of a different skin color are less human than you. A man becomes thoroughly convinced that he can put on a dress and think that he's a woman. Bad is good, and good is bad. If this is true, what is the root cause of identity crises that turn people to evil and perversion? It's sin. Sin is the root problem. I am aware of legitimate mental illness, and I hope you know that I'm not talking about that. But what I'm trying to show you today is that we as a group that call ourselves Christians do a great job at pointing out the flaws of others, yet do a poor job of examining ourselves. Stop pointing fingers. Stop comparing yourself to others. Stop classifying people by class or race or gender in such a way as to promote arrogance or prejudice. In the eyes of God, you are just as messed up as they are. 
Start comparing yourself to God's Word. There are numerous times throughout the Bible where we are called to examine ourselves, and we don't do it enough, or at all. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 said that the wrath of God is reserved for those who live contrary to him. If you've been born again by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, don't ever forget where you came from. Your identity was once that of a slave to sin and to Satan. But now he has brought us into his glorious light. You were adopted into a royal family. However, there was nothing that you did to adopt yourself. Let's look again at Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, where we started today. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Abba being Daddy. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, which is male and female sons, then an heir through God. Because we have been bought from slavery into God's family, we don't belong to that world anymore. We have eternal life as our inheritance, and God gave us the Holy Spirit as the pledge, or the down payment, on that promise. Now we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. But those who are not God's children, he declares that they are his enemies. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20 says, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God redeemed you from your sins. You were adopted into his family. He has given you citizenship to an eternal kingdom of never-ending joy and peace. This is our new identity in Christ Jesus. If you recall the definition of what an identity is, it is the combination of your memories, your experiences, your relationships, and your values. With a new identity comes new responsibility. Use the memories of your past life as a testimony of how much we and the world need God. Use your experiences to know how to meet people where they are in order to present the gospel to them. Deepen the relationship with the Lord through prayer 
and meditation on his word. Everything that God values is good, and everything that God hates is to be disregarded. Likewise, our values need to match the one who called us into salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, I declare to you this morning that those who are called to salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ are not to be like the world, which is lost and confused in the darkness of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. We are not confused because God is a constant. He is someone reliable to depend on. He is absolute reality. And in light of this reality, you have an identity in Christ. Who you are today, every crisis you've ever been through, every tear you've ever shed, it was not an accident. God used those moments to bring you here today, to be the person that you are today. And perhaps best of all, he is not done with you yet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Lord is not done with you yet. He has just started. We don't have an identity with the world anymore. As a result, the world hates us because we don't belong. It hates us because we have something that they don't. We have hope. It hates us because the holiness of God draws attention to the things in their life that they know are wrong, and yet they cling to it. It shouldn't surprise us that the world hates us, but in light of who God is, is that really so bad? Is the love of the world worth it? Let me leave you with some passages of Scripture that illustrate a clear comparison to the identity of the world and the identity of those in Christ Jesus, and you be the judge as to where your allegiance should belong. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 through Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Titus chapter 3, 
verses 3 through 5. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Likewise, we cannot serve God and love the world. We cannot love God and love living in sin. We cannot love ourselves and still expect to love Christ. Solomon tried it, and do you know what the wisest man that ever lived concluded? Everything was meaningless, like chasing after the wind. Therefore, true contentment only comes through Jesus Christ. As brothers and sisters in Christ, this is our identity. We belong to him. Let's fully realize the significance of this and strive to show the world what they're missing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. It is heavy upon my heart that there are people, perhaps listening right now, that are in need of repentance in some way. Some more than others, to be sure, but we all fall short of fully surrendering and submitting to the will of God. Our egos are very big. We don't always reflect upon our conduct. We don't always take a good, honest look at ourselves in the mirror and ask, Am I doing everything that Jesus commanded me? So I want to invite you into a repentance that is in bold submission to the Master. If you are able, and you'd like to confess to the Lord, kneel and pray wherever you are, at the feet of God's throne in heaven. In 2 Kings, King Hezekiah was overwhelmed with the pressure of the world, the threats he received, and the evil army that was right outside his door. He struggled with sin, just like everyone else. But it says that he took his concerns and his problems and he spread them out before the Lord and left it in his hands. It's time to come clean. It's time to start fresh with God today. Speak to the Lord where you are. Open the door to the dirty laundry and the cobwebs in your life that you've been holding back from God. Maybe it's been weeks, or months, or even years that you've been running from this. Or you've been trying to tell yourself that there's nothing there. If you're listening, and you feel that there is nothing to repent of, 
you need to discard your pride and arrogance and submit to your God. There is only room for one master in your life, and it's not you. Realize your identity today in Christ Jesus and humble yourself before him. For those of you that do not know Jesus, he wants you to know him. God came down from heaven to be born as a man in order to live a perfect life and die for your sins. He rose on the third day to prove that everything he said was true. He is alive, and he is actively looking for those whose hearts belong to him. If you need prayer, if you have any questions about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, please talk to me. Please send me an email. I would love to talk to you about it and to pray for you. The altar is available. Kneel before the throne of God at any time and repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I hope you enjoyed this message, and I am completely serious. If you have questions, you need prayer, please contact me. I would love to get in touch with you. And that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.